Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello everyone and welcome in to this latest episode of La Liga Lowdown. This is our match day 30 recap episode with me, Ewan McTeer, as your host and with this episode we broadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. Of course, there was one absolutely huge fixture in Spain's top division this weekend but we'll get to Huesca versus Elche later. First, we had El Clasico between Real Madrid and Barcelona held at Real Madrid's temporary home of the Estadio Di Stefano in Valdebebas, and it was quite a game. The rain poured and poured in the second half as it finished 2-1 to Real Madrid. That was thanks to a lovely Karim Benzema backheel flick goal that was as beautiful as Tony Cruz's double-deflected free-kick was awkward. The young Oscar Mingueza pulled one back for Barcelona, who really pushed at the end and had a penalty shout, hit the crossbar as well in the dying moments through Elijah. This match really was entertaining, as El Clasico always is, to be honest. This fixture is very rarely a dud. We've got to talk then about this match, and we'll bring in our man Roman de Arcaire just now. Now, Roman, you're a Barcelona fan, and of course you were supporting them, and we'll discuss that in a moment. But this Clasico was, for me as a neutral anyway, just an epic game of football with the three goals, three more shots off the post, the rain, everything. Is epic the right word to describe it? Yeah, I think it definitely does. I mean, especially that second half when it started pouring rain, the players were soaked. Uh, You could even see Messi trembling from the cold. And I've played in similar conditions and I can tell you it is very, very unpleasant to play under uh, that much rain. It's really hard to warm up. But at least I think uh, the rain gave us that edge, that extra punch the second half needed. And I mean, it opened up the game a lot also because, you know, Barcelona needed to score uh, being two goals down and Madrid had even more spaces to counterattack. So it was definitely an entertaining one to watch. I even say one of the best Clásicos in the recent years, uh, even though Barcelona lost in the end. Yeah, I think you're right there. So to sum the game up, Barcelona dominated possession, but Real Madrid got the win. Was the result fair then? Well, if there's a team that deserved to win, I think it has to be Real Madrid. Um, Even though Barcelona had more shots and shots on target in this game, uh, you did feel like uh, Los Blancos were generating a lot of danger in every counter-attack they had, even though some of those were wasted. Um, It still felt like, you know, uh, careful because Barcelona aren't defending too well. 
and anything can happen. But in the end, uh, they only managed those two goals in the first half. And in the second half, I do think uh, Barcelona were the better side. They took more risks because they needed to also, and they played much better football than in the first half. So I think in the end, a draw would have been a reasonable result. But if you have to pick a winner, I would say Real Madrid. Hmm, very fair. So, what did you think of the game from a tactical perspective? Personally, I found it quite interesting, right, that Barcelona started with a back three and Real Madrid with a back four. Then, by the end, it was the opposite way around. What tactical elements did you find most interesting? To be honest, it wasn't one of those games where I was fully aware of all the tactical decisions because it's a very passionate one for us culés and of course Madridistas, so uh, you're more uh, immersed in the game and, and trying to focus on what's happening. But if I had to point a few things out, I'd say that those uh, f formation changes you mentioned were pretty surprising, especially uh, the changes in terms of players that Zidane made in the second half, bringing out Vinicius, bringing out Benzema, which I thought were, were brilliant in that game and two of the best uh, players for Zidane and I thought they could still do a lot of damage but surprisingly he brought on players which are slightly worse we could say and in the end they didn't maybe perform as well as the other two so that was quite surprising for me and also I'd say I was quite disappointed not to see Dembele play on uh, the left wing because when Odriozola came in I just thought that there um, Dembele could do so much damage because we know that Mendy is a very solid defender but Odriozola tends to su suffer a lot more and I think a face-to-face -face against Usman would have been quite uh, an advantage for uh, Barcelona but Kuman and his guys didn't either see it or consider it appropriate and unfortunately it didn't happen but for me those were a few standout things. Let's get to the goals. The Cruz goal was fortunate, but the Benzema one, that was something special, wasn't it? Well, we know Benzema is on fire lately. He's a fantastic striker for Real Madrid, and uh, that goal, um, I mean, speaks for itself. You just have to watch it, no words are really needed. And it's a pity Araujo couldn't uh, cover the space well enough, and he was at the same time uh, impeding maybe Ter Stegen from seeing where the ball was coming from exactly and didn't react in time. Uh, but overall, credit to Benzema and, of course, Lucas Vázquez for that pinpoint cross. What did you think of Messi's performance in this one? I mean, it's now seven classicals without a goal or an assist for him. Well, it was definitely not one of his best games. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, he struggled with the team in the first half. In the second, uh, he looked a bit better, but he never really made a click as he's done in, in the past uh, against Real Madrid and I guess there's two factors that are leading to Messi not performing as well against uh, Los Blancos. One has to be I think age uh, as he gets older of course his level, his performances maybe aren't as impressive even though he's still one of the best there are no doubt and also I'd say the teams he's played with I mean it's not like before when he had Xavi, he had Iniesta, he had a fantastic a uh, group of players surrounding him now it's probably harder for him to, to get involved and he also has to move back more uh, step back from the box to try and build up from behind and of course that's maybe limiting him in terms of scoring goals I guess we should discuss the Brathwaite penalty incident this is right at the end of the game when Brathwaite goes down after getting in front of Mondi to pinch the ball we know what Jared Piquet and Ronald Coleman thought of it they were quite vocal insane that they thought it was a foul but what about you Roman do you think this was a penalty if you look at the situation in real time it definitely looks like a penalty but then when you see it in slow motion um, you see there's not too much contact 
and it kind of changes the perception you have of that situation. And I think slow motion sometimes uh, can be uh, non-beneficial for these kind of things because we, we tend to focus too much on that, but we have to realize that what's happening is always on in real time, of course, and Brathwaite is running in very wet conditions. He just gets there, saves the ball, and then he falls back in a very unorthodox position, which I think he can't really make up. I think there was definitely some sort of uh, force that made him fall that way, and despite the contact being light because it isn't a very uh, massive or strong grab, but there is enough, I think, to uh, make him lose balance so in my opinion it should be a penalty but I do understand why VAR didn't go into um, analyzing it more deeply and, and warning Gil Manzano because in the end it isn't a very clear and concise penalty you know it's not one of those obvious things uh, where the referee made a mistake and following those rules then uh, the right call was not to warn Gil Manzano who considered it wasn't one. Barcelona have the Copa del Rey final against Athletic next Real Madrid, meanwhile, have their Champions League second leg against Liverpool. Do you think fatigue will be a problem for Real Madrid on Wednesday after such an intense match as this classical? It could be a slight problem, but I mean, Liverpool don't seem much of a threat lately and Real Madrid will at least leave with that moral boost, you know, that extra confidence, uh, which is going to be fantastic for them. And we know that Zidane is really good at getting... Uh, the best out of his players in terms of a physical condition. Uh, so I don't really think it will be too much of a problem. Of course, there might be some fatigue because it was a very intense game. And in conditions, uh, the players are not used to with that uh, downpour of rain. But I do think uh, Madrid have enough to, to get a good result and play a good game against Liverpool. Yeah, that will be an interesting one for sure. Okay, thanks Roman for coming on and breaking that down for us. Let's hear from some of the protagonists of the game now. We heard Roman's thoughts on the penalty incident. Now let's hear what Ronald Koeman had to say about that and about the game as a whole. First of all, in the first half, uh, it wasn't uh, good enough. Not in an uh, attacking way. We had uh, The last pass was not really on the standard what we have to bring. And also defensively, uh, we gave too much space we are not really close to block the ball by the first goal. But the team was better in the second half and we create opportunities and, and, and they were defending. They had also the possibility to score the third one. And finally, uh, we are really angry about the situation of the penalty because that's not fair play. If you don't give the penalty, I, can, I don't understand that. Now, next, let's listen into this audio clip from the very end of the classical. At the end of the game, PK, after not playing a single minute, went straight to the referee to complain about there only being four minutes of stoppage time. As he does so, he passes Luka Modric, and this happens. <laughs> That's Modric there saying to PK, oh, you're off to complain now. How many minutes of stoppage time did you want? <laughs> I love that for Modric, the confidence to basically say we could have kept playing and kept you out for many minutes more. I'm not too sure if that really would have happened because Barcelona really were pushing at the end. But the confidence from Modric and the rest of his teammates is a big reason why Real Madrid have secured their two big wins this week. They're on fire and now we'll see how they do in Liverpool. Of course, we'll be covering that one on our La Liga Lowdown Twitter account, so make sure you're following us there. Now, we're going to move on to our Sore Throat Game of the Week segment now. This is where we bring you all the commentary clips from 
one of the wackier matches of the weekend, and we've got a really interesting Huesca versus Elche game this week. So, here's Ruri Barlow to talk us through what happened there as Huesca earned a huge 3-1 win. All eyes were on El Clasico this weekend, but Friday night's fixture between Huesca and Elche was as big as it got at the other end of the table. Before the match, Elche sat one spot and two points ahead of Huesca in 17th, while Huesca had the opportunity to get out of the drop zone for the first time since match day 6. It didn't take long for the match to catch light. Once again watching Ferreira pick up the ball short. His cross comes in with the left foot. The header and that's the opener in the game. Very early doors. It's Rafamid. Who else was it going to be? Not even three minutes on the clock. And Wesker take the lead in this vital six points up. Just as happened the week before against Levante, Ferreiro's beautiful delivery found Rafa Mir. Very early doors, as Glenn Taylor said. However, it took just 84 seconds for Elche to respond. Y Barely had Ruben Blasco finished describing Huesca's goal to Radio Marca before he was describing Elche's equaliser through the Via Rapida, the express lane. Beremilla's ball across the box turned into his own net by Denis Favreau. Both sides showed plenty of ambition from there on and an intriguing first half unfolded. Huesca probably found themselves in Elche's half more often, and that was reflected in the scoreline when Sandro intercepted a pass in Elche's third. Sandro recuperó la pelota. Se perfiló para el disparo. El latigazo fuera del área. Y yo creo que Aibadía estaba tapado. No estuvo acertado. Acabó el balón en el fondo de la portería. Se adelanta el Huesca de nuevo. Pablo Barantes of Cadena Cope expressed his doubts about Edgar Badia's sight of the shot. And it was a fair question to ask how Sandro's effort squirmed in at the near post, even if he has been amongst La Liga's best keepers this year. The second half settled into a more defined pattern. Huesca continued to attack with menace, but were also content to drop into a solid block. Elche's inability to pierce that block was ultimately their downfall. Rafa Mir scored a late penalty to secure the points and his ninth goal in ten games. Tall and muscly, Mir cuts the figure of a Greek hero, but has the technique to go with his size. Until recently, his Achilles heel had been finishing, but his good form lately has led to some even linking him with a late dash for the Spain plane on its way to Euro 2021. For his manager, this must feel like vindication. Cruelly sacked by Elche after two promotions, Pacheta spoke of the obligation to compete before the match, and that extra tenacity has been a key factor in Huesca's upturn. They were playing some good football before his, his arrival, but a few retoques have made the Osense more dangerous in the final third and more resolute defending. The Great Huescape is on. The Great Huescape. I love it. <laughs> we actually just released an entire podcast episode about Huesca 
by the way. That's part of our club podcast series and we've told the entire story of the club. You can find it on LaLegalLowdown.com or wherever you get your podcast or wherever you found this episode. As for this episode, we've reached the end of part one. We'll be back in just a few ticks with so much more in part two. That's coming up after this short pause. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello everyone and welcome back to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. We discussed El Clasico in part 1 where Real Madrid beat Barcelona for a 2-1 win that could end up being huge in determining where this season's La Liga trophy ends up. That win temporarily put Real Madrid top but Atletico Madrid finished the weekend as leaders as they drew 1-1 away at Real Betis. Now normally that might not be seen as a good enough result for Atleti in the title race but actually given the circumstances it really was. They were without Luis Suarez and Marcos Juventi for this one due to suspension and injury in the case of Suarez. Moussa Dembele still isn't back either. Jeffrey Kadogbia had a suspension as well. Thomas Lamar, he picked up an injury just before the game. Then during the match, Joao Felix and Kevin Trippier went off with injuries too. So at the end, a draw away at a good Real Betis side didn't seem like quite such a bad result. And Atletico had chances to win it too in stoppage time, but... They couldn't take them. That meant that Yannick Carrasco and Christian Teo's early goals were the only ones of that game and that means that the La Liga standings are as follows. Atletico Madrid are top on 67 points, Real Madrid second on 66 and Barcelona third on 65. Yeah, it's pretty tight up there. Moving on, we're going to turn our attention to Alaves where they've had a coaching change this past week. Apelardo is out and Javi Calleja has come in and 
He earned a decent first point with a goalless draw away at a very heavily rotated Athletic Club side. We've got Alavis Fan and Vittoria Gasteiz resident Rob Hextall with the lowdown on what's going on at the Basque Club. Here's Rob with this report on the week that was at Alavis. It was almost seven years ago when Alavis fans witnessed the miracle of Jaén, when Guzmán scored a last-minute winner in the last game of the 2013-2014 season in the Estadio de la Victoria to keep Alavés in Segunda División and out of the hell that is Segunda B. Relegation would have been disastrous for a club that was still working its way out of a post-Dimitri Peterman receivership. Survival, on the other hand, proved to be the platform for a renaissance in the club's fortunes that saw Alaves return to the top flight in 2016 and even qualify for the final of the King's Cup in 2017. That renaissance, though, is showing increasing signs of decadence and fans are starting to lose count of how many managers the club has had in the last few seasons. After the sacking of Pablo Machin in January, Elpito Abelardo was called upon to repeat his relegation-beating act of 2018. Unfortunately, he left them bottom of the table, and with the squad in a bit of a mess after falling out publicly with forward Lucas Perez, accusing him of not giving his all for the team, something that Perez strenuously denied. The rumour mill has been working overtime in Gastes as to why a proven goalscorer such as Perez got sidelined in the first place, at a time of such desperate need for goals and points. But whatever the reasons, it's new boss Javier Calleja who has to pick up the pieces and get all the players rowing in the same direction. He saved Villarreal in the 2018-2019 season and then qualified them for the Europa League. So the mood is a little more upbeat in Vitoria, although there is still a lot of work to be done and direct rivals will need to trip up to let Alaves in with a chance. A point against Athletic is always something to savour for the perennial underdogs in these derbies, but ultimately picking up one point a game isn't going to get Alaves anywhere. And on top of that, the man of the match was goalkeeper Fernando Pacheco, which goes to show how much work Calleja has to do to fix an extremely fragile and leaky defence. Up front, at least Rossello managed to get the ball in the back of the net, only for VAR to decide that Lucas Perez, restored to the starting 11 by Calleja in a sign that all is well again in the dressing room, was offside in the build-up. Those two are going to have to rapidly rebuild their partnership of old and start banging them in on a regular basis if El Glorioso are going to add a seventh year to their current record-breaking run in Primera. Let's hope that in seven years' time, we'll be looking back on another miracle that Javier Calleja and his weary squad of players produced to keep the team up and to kickstart another glorious age for Alaves fans. I hope Alaves. Thanks, Rob. Let's look at the big picture of the relegation battle then. Alavez's result took them off the bottom of the table, and it's now Ibar who are rock bottom after they lost 1-0 at home to Levante. That's again a result that can condemn a team to relegation, and it's not looking good for Ibar. Since they achieved their miracle promotion back in 2014, they've never actually sat bottom of the table, not once in 258 match days. But that's where they are now, after 13 matches without a win. They're on 23 points, Alavez are second bottom on 24, and Elche are the final team in the drop zone right now on 26 points. Huesca, as we heard earlier, are now out of the bottom three on 27 points, and then Real Valladolid are the other side in what looks like it'll be a five-team relegation battle. They're on 27 points too, after letting the lead slip against Granada. After Fabian Oriana put them ahead from the spot, Granada goals from Jorge Molina and Kini 
in the final 15 minutes earned them a 2-1 win to ease their heartbreak from last week's Europa League defeat to Manchester United. Let's bring in Paco Pollock now for a chat about Valencia 2, Real Sociedad 2. This was quite a game, a big match between the last two winners of the Copa del Rey at Mestalla and after an early penalty miss by Valencia's Carlos Soler, Real Sociedad went ahead with goals from a really impressive Ander Guevara and from Alexander Isak, who's having such a good season. But Valencia came back. Daniel Vaz scored a penalty and then Gabriel Paulista made it 2-2. That was before Maxi Gomez was sent off with 10 minutes to go. So, Paco, how do you sum up your emotions after that quite wild 2-2 draw? You know, frankly, watching Valencia games this season has turned into an unpleasant, weird experience almost weekly. You just never know the levels of disappointment the team will reach in that particular game, while at the same time getting a few football gods in their favour and surprisingly picking up points or even winning the match in the nick of time. Against a Real Sociedad with 10 players out, three or four of them members of the usual starting lineup. Valencia's first half was an abhorrent piece of sports performance. Real Sociedad easily dominated ball possession and the pacing of the game, but it was a handball by Gorosabel, which gave Carlos Soler the chance of scoring the opener from the penalty spot. He missed, and one minute later, Real Sociedad were winning thanks to the umpteenth example of poor defending by Valencia this season. Alexander Isak punched again in the 45th minute with a less-than-stellar crossed shot which gently entered Jaume's goal. He wasn't particularly inspired in that one. After such a disaster first half, it was incredible that Valencia could save a point and they actually did it against all odds. How proud are you then of that Valencia comeback? I'm quite proud of how this team clings to survival even against the most dire situations which they force upon themselves. It's true that Real Sociedad allowed such things to happen, their pacing wasn't great after the halftime and possibly felt a bit tired after so many big games in the last week. Fittingly enough, Gabriel Paulista ended being the crucial player in both boxes. His defending was lackluster in the opening goal, but he later redeemed himself by getting stomped in the play which allowed Vaz to score a penalty and later heading home an excellent cross by Gonzalo Guedes. I didn't really understand, however, some of the decision-making by Javi Gracia, who once again didn't really take full advantage of some of the firepower he has on the bench, like... Manu Vallejo or Cutrone or Kangin Lee. Valencia maybe could have gone on all the way to win this one, right? But they had to finish with only 10 men because of Maxi Gomez. What do you think of that silly red card he got? You know, that red card really sums up what Maxi Gomez's season has been to date. I really do believe he spends more or less the same time on his feet running around than rolling on the floor after any scramble with an opposite defender. Maxi Gomez is not 100% physically at the top of his game, and you can actually see that. And also the way he got a yellow for complaining, kept doing so, and later was sent off with a straight red for saying to the ref, La Concha de tu Madre, which not only ruined Valencia's hopes of turning around the scoreline and winning the three points, but also hampers the lineup for the next couple of weeks, as Maxi will probably get a two-game ban based on his cursing to the referee. Bottom line, it was a stupid thing to do. 
What did you think about Real Sociedad? You mentioned that they maybe looked tired, yet they actually played quite well overall until those final stages. So what did you make of them? Well, I guess Imanol Alguacil might feel a bit frustrated as they had the game totally under control till the avoidable pen by Carlos Fernandez over Gabriel Paulista. They could have finished the game in the first half, they didn't, they relaxed a bit in the second and after Maxi was sent off, they had no gas left in the tank to try and win the three points. But overall, the season can actually be considered successful for Real Sociedad after their win in the Copa del Rey final as their lack of consistency dragged down their chances of fighting for Champions League spots. If they manage to finish fifth and ahead of both Villarreal and Betis in the race for the Europa League, I believe it would be the icing on the cake this season for them. Okay, thanks Paco. Let's take a look now at the couple of games we've not yet mentioned in this episode. One of them was Hitafi versus Cadiz. To be honest, I thought this was going to be a tough watch as... This was two teams who are at their best when the opponent has the ball, but it was actually a bit better than expected. Both teams had a good number of chances throughout. The only goal that went in, though, was when Hitafi's David Timor tried to avoid a cross into the box and instead chested it into his own net. It was utterly bizarre, and it was the only goal of the game as Cadiz won 1-0. The other detail of note from this one was that Juan Cala played the full 90 minutes after his week in the headlines following the allegations that he directed a racist insult towards Mukhtar Diakabi. After La Liga hired audio specialists and lip readers to study all the available footage and audio from last weekend's Cadiz versus Valencia match, they couldn't find any evidence of that and the authorities couldn't, therefore, give a big ban to Cala. So, for now at least, Cala is available to play and that's what he did on Saturday. Now, there's one game we've not mentioned yet and it was a fun one. Well, maybe not if you're a Villarreal fan. They lost 2-1 to Osasuna, with all three goals coming in the space of 10 minutes. John Moncayola scored in the 64th, a David Garcia own goal followed in the 70th, and Ante Budimir hit the winner in the 74th. There was action besides the goals though, as there was a strange moment in the first half where a penalty was called for Villarreal, and then Paco Alcacer put the ball in the net just mere seconds later. The goal didn't count because the whistle had already gone, but then... They didn't even get the penalty because VAR said it wasn't one, so poor guy, poor Paco Alcacer. Then, in stoppage time, Osasuna's Sergio Herrera made two excellent saves to deny Villarreal, helping his team hold on for the win. So that was a fun one and a big win for Osasuna, who moved even further away from the relegation battle. There's one game still to come this match day with Celta Vigo versus Sevilla on Monday night for now. Thanks to Rome de Arquer, Ruri Barlow, Rob Hextall and Baco Pollitt for contributing to this episode. I've been your host, Jim McTeer, and thanks a lot for listening. We'll be back at the same time next week, so speak to you then. <laughs>